welcome back to Parent School. This podcast is packed full of the wise parenting advice of Polly Ely. She's a marriage and family therapist based in the San Francisco area. I'm a mom of two, and I'm a student of Polly's. My name is Rachel Templeton. Okay, so this show really hit home for me. It's about worry. I'm a worrier, and I come from a long line of worriers. And in this episode, Polly talks about the epidemic of worry that she sees and many families that she works with and also observes in the world, sometimes even in a public restroom, as you'll hear. Here she is explaining what she calls worry love. That's the intermixing of worry and love. And no, it's not a good thing. Enjoy the show. Holly, what's worry love? (laughs) Yeah, sure. So I came across the idea of worry love as I began to listen to the transactions between specifically mothers and their children. It's sort of the systematic dropping in of uncertainty through concern. And let me give you an example. It can be as simple as just the words, be careful, or watch out, or that could hurt you. Just that kind of element of preparatory, I'm going to keep you safe from everything kind of love. And it is a way that mothers in particular bond with their kids right from the get-go and all the way through their adulthood. Recently, a lot of people have asked me, why do you think anxiety is skyrocketing the way it is among kids at such young ages? And while I think it's a multifaceted answer, this is one of the factors that is so important is this kind of worry love that gets injected or dropped into a child's presence bit by bit throughout the day from their caregiver. And it basically says, there's something to worry about right there. Be careful of what's around you that you can't see. You gave me an example when we were talking about this before that I really thought about when we were just vacationing. We had an international trip with the kids. And so inevitably we were in some less than sanitary restrooms at the airport. And I remember a story you told me that you overheard in a public restroom. Can you tell me about that? Because it really stuck with me. It did. Awesome. Yeah, it really stuck with me too, Rachel. I was in a stall just doing my business and um, I could hear a mom enter in with her what sounded like three to four-year-old. I chose not to actually watch. I just wanted to listen to the transaction. And I hear the mom saying this, and pardon me, I'm going to get loud for a minute. Don't touch that. Don't, 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 don't touch that. Put your hands in the air. Don't. Okay. We're go- Sarah, 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 we're, stop, stop. Raise your hands. Do not touch anything. There is so much germs in this room. You could get so, so sick. Listen, just walk into the stall. Mommy's going to do everything for you. And that was the beginning of about a three minute transaction that started that way and literally did not stop almost the entire time they were in there. And I imagined as I'm sitting in the stall, what is it like to be this brand new human being to the world? Coming into a bathroom and finding out that there was a lot of scary stuff going on in here that I couldn't see. But I have only one option, which is to trust my caregiver, that there is something very dangerous going on in here. And if I touch anything, I'm in trouble. I began to really imagine and see how worry and love sort of wrap together and then embed themselves in the nervous system of a child. 
Because what we're essentially doing is teaching them not just to be nervous in this moment, but be nervous every time you go into a bathroom. Can you give us another example? Yeah, I can give a lot of them. And I'm sort of in the practice of just looking for them in my own life, places where I, as a mom, might do it. And I have an 18 and a 20-year-old, and I do it. But I'm way more aware of it now. I've heard moms say regularly, and this was my little shtick, was the minute someone walked in the door from being anywhere, I'd say, wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands. Before you touch anything, go wash your hands. You've got stuff all over your hands. People are sick at school. I don't want you bringing that in. Now, these aren't bad messages to send to anyone. It's true. We do need to wash our hands, and we want to try to prevent getting sick But it's the intensity and the anxiety that I was funneling through the message in addition to the message itself, which was, A, there's something invisible that got on your hands that's going to hurt you, and B, I have a great big intense fear of it, and I am funneling it into your system through my intensity. So it wasn't just simply like, hey, before you go in, let's wash our hands. It was like almost a panic kind of wash your hands. Another way that has permeated me, and I've heard it through lots of mothers, is the idea that food could be contaminated. We might get a message through the media that there's been a foodborne illness outbreak. I heard a mom transact with her kid in the store, and she's like, don't touch that lettuce. And the kid's like, why? And she goes, just put it down. All the lettuce is bad right now. She was trying to share a message of care, but... A little person has no way of interpreting that message. All the lettuce is bad. In a moment where, with a little bit more explanation, he might have understood that in one country there was lettuce being shipped in that had germs on it that were making people sick. The child was getting both the intensity of the mom's fear that she had picked up through the media, and she was getting a really vague message about dangerous lettuce That can translate into food refusal, food difficulties, difficulty with just relaxing with eating. So that's another simple example. In the example of the bathroom, Mm -hmm. you gave me some advice that a mom could have said in that moment. I think what I may have mentioned to you is the idea of what I call pregame strategizing. (laughs) And that's, I'm going to kind of kneel down and take a breath in myself. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about where we're going into. I'm going to explain in as relaxed a way as possible that there are germs in here that are hard to see. And if they get on your hands, they can make you sick. But it's okay if they do get on your hands because we can wash them off. It's really cool how soap and water works. So I'm like going to have a regulating conversation with you before we go in. And then I, as the functional adult, am going to remember that if you touch something, it's okay. No big deal. And I think that is a really missing piece of the transaction that kids aren't getting. They're really walking into these scenarios like it's a life or death situation. They're carrying that feeling with them in their nervous system for the whole day. And then day after day after day, week after week, month after month, it really is not a surprise why kids are actually starting to become paralyzed with the fear of uncertainty. And therefore, I have to hold on really tight to my mom because she seems to be able to see them or sense the danger. And now what we've got is the beginning of separation, anxiety, an anxious attachment. I wonder from the parents' perspective, 
Where do you think that's coming from? What's the root of that? Well, I think in the most fundamental form, it's love. That this is the single most precious being on the planet to them. And they really genuinely do want to keep them safe and well. And it's a big ass headache for them if they don't stay safe and well. And then part two of that is that parents are getting infused and absorbing so much news and anxious energy that they too have unchecked anxiety. And because it's unchecked and it's unconscious, they're just a pipeline for it. So I guess in some ways I'm asking parents to really recognize that the message of fear that gets dropped in little by little is having a cumulative effect on a child, not just one that lasts for the day, one that gets wrapped around their nervous system and their synapses and their neural patterning, if you will, in a chronic and long-lasting way. What is the risk for a child to grow up surrounded by this worry-love Well, I wouldn't call it a risk as much as I would call it an outcome. And on the short term, and when I say short term, I mean like for their young life, your kid is much more likely to be wired anxious, feel less comfortable wandering off and exploring away from you, which is really, really healthy for them to become a secure person. The world is dangerous, basically becomes the outlook of a child like that. But there's a longer term net effect too. And that is this, when we are teaching our child that love and worry go together, we're building a blueprint for love. And that blueprint isn't a secure kind of love. It's the kind that says, in order for you to know that you're important to me and that you matter, I'm going to worry about you. In fact, I'm going to worry and I'm going to hover over you and tell you all the things that could hurt you. And that is how you will build your template for love. That will be either something over time that the child will respond to and look for, like, I need a partner who does this with me, or they will do a reaction to that, where they will look for somebody who does none of that, where the person really is almost neglectful in terms of being able to be protective. So we all kind of adapt to that hyper or intense worry love in a certain kind of way. We will either seek to recreate it or we will seek to never have it. And then take it a little further into their life when they're having their own children. Now that is the blueprint for love that is almost impossible to take out of the formula for how I'm going to parent. So if you parented me with worry love, even if I go into raising my kids with an absolute resolution of not doing the same, I will almost certainly do the same because it is so wired into my nervous system. As someone who comes from a long line of warriors, uh-huh. <laughs> Jewish East Coasters, I think it's sort of built into the DNA, but I wonder if there's hope. I'm certainly an anxious mom and I worry. And my mom, you know, I'm an adult. My mom still worries about me. She worries about my adult brother. What would you say to parents or I guess moms, I'm thinking of moms in particular, who come from a long line of worried parents? That's right. It comes down through the line. We learn how to do this from generations. But for parents who actually want to become more conscious of it and want to transform their family tree and not just keep passing this worry love from generation to generation, the first thing we can do is become conscious of the fact that 
We are funneling our anxiety through us unchecked to our kids as a way of bonding. And if we become aware of that and we feel some inclination to do something different, then we're in the realm of some brand new moment that has not happened in your family tree before, (laughs) where you might slow down and say, hold on, you know, I think before we go into the bathroom, let's just kneel down together and I'm going to take a breath and I'm going to smile at you and I'm going to say, we're going into a bathroom. Do you remember what can sometimes be in the bathroom, girl? And you know what? You can't see me right now, but I'm smiling. I have like a friendly look on my face. I'm not afraid, but I know it can get a little icky in there. So I'm going to say, remember, it can get a little icky. I'm going to ask you to not touch so much, or maybe even if you want to touch something, touch me. But if you forget, it's no big deal. We can wash our hands and that's it. And then I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to whistle my way through that bathroom and I'm going to show them how to relax because there is scary stuff. But that doesn't mean we have to be scared. And that, for me, feels like a profound kind of consciousness-raising kind of parenting. Being scared is really hard work. It keeps you in a fight-flight state. And the fight-flight state is actually not an optimal state to be in all the time. It's okay to be afraid when it's appropriate. But kids are starting at the age of three and two, scared in the morning, scared all day, scared after school, scared all night. Scared if you don't get to sleep on time. Here's a great one. You got to go to sleep. Oh my God, if you don't sleep tomorrow, you're going to be a wreck and your teacher's going to be mad at you. And there's so much to worry about. If you don't go to sleep on time, you got to hurry and get to sleep and get to sleep and get to sleep. We all know where that takes you. How well do you sleep when you've got to get to sleep, (laughs) right? So that's just a perfect example of like, if I become aware of how much anxiety I have about you sleeping and I get responsible for it, I can take a breath and say, you know what? Your body knows the right time to fall asleep. Don't sweat it. It's a system that takes care of itself and you'll fall asleep at exactly the right time and your body will have just what it needs from that sleep. But, you know, fast forward to the morning. Let's say you got that message at night. You got to sleep. You got to sleep. You got to hurry because tomorrow you're going to be a wreck if you don't. Then we wake you up and I start the day off with fear. Hurry up. Oh my gosh, we're going to be late. We're going to be late. You got to hurry. Don't dawdle. Don't dawdle. Your teacher's going to be really mad at us. Like, this is like 50 messages before eight o'clock about something you need to be afraid of. Someone's going to be mad at you. You're going to be late for something. You're not on track. This is a chronic daily experience for kids. And we wonder why they feel rattled when they get to school. How about, like, take your time? It's going to be okay. No one's going to be in trouble if we're late. We always work to be on time because we value that, but let's agree that the sky doesn't fall if you're five minutes late to kindergarten. I think a lot of us have our kids start school and what we're channeling is teacher anxiety. We are afraid of being in trouble with the teacher and we don't even realize it. That's a powerful thing to realize. I'm 40 years old and if I get a report from the teacher that says, hey, your kid was late, nothing actually happens to me. I'm not actually in trouble. (laughs) I think that's an important outcome to remember. Can we talk about worry, love, and feeding kids? Oh my gosh, what a huge topic. And I'm so glad you brought it up. It's so primal to want to feed our children and to want them to grow. Let's take the growing part aside. It's satisfying to watch your kid eat. So when they're not eating, it's actually anxiety provoking, right? A, 
you may not grow and thrive and be well, but B, you might be a little turkey in about an hour if you don't eat, right? So there's all kinds of reasons for me to worry about your eating. However, if I keep that in check and I remember that the body has all kinds of systems all built into it that are working without any help at all to make sure this child gets food in them and just the right amount at just the right time, I really actually don't need to worry about this as nearly as much as I think I do. I mean, in my labs, I teach people that you can decide what is available, but you really have no business as a parent anymore with what we know about eating disorder, which starts very, very early, telling them what to eat in what order or what amount. We've covered a lot of life basics, eating, sleeping, going to school. What about going to the bathroom. What would you say to parents who have reluctant poopers, having problems with potty training and having a lot of worry, love around that? Oh, this is so good. I'm so glad you're bringing it up. I went through it too. And at the time that I went through it again, I didn't know that the system totally has its own intelligence. The body and the gut and the digestive system runs itself absolutely perfectly until we start to interrupt it with our fear we're as adults so connected to the clock. Oh my gosh, how many days has it been? Wait, you have to poop. And then we start running the anxiety. The anxiety talk sounds like you have to go poo-poo. You have to go poo-poo. We're not going anywhere until you go poo-poo. You're going to sit right there on the potty. You can take the potty anywhere you want, but you're going to go poo-poo. Now we're literally setting up another tug of war. Something bad will happen to you if your poo doesn't come out of you. Well, yeah, in a really extreme case, But in the case of a kid, sometimes three or four days pass and they don't have a poop. And guess what? They almost always survive, right? They just do. And then they have a big one and then they feel better. But kids tend to hold their poop because they get anxious about letting it go. And then couple that with the anxiety they're sensing from their caregiver. And we've got a kid who wants to hold tight. Because when I look in my mom's eyes and she's telling me you have to poop and she looks scared, I'm scared too. And nothing like a bit of fear to make me clench up and all the sphincters get real tight and nothing's coming. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Here's the language I would really want to offer people is for them to take a deep breath and say, you know what? Don't sweat it. Your body knows just what to do. We don't need to interfere. It knows how to sleep on its own. It knows how to eat on its own. It knows how to poop on its own. And us humans, we get to just go along for the ride. Now that is a really sweet message to hear. And you know what it does? It sets all the systems right. Why do you personally care so much about worry love? Mm, I really, really care about mental health deeply. And I see as a psychotherapist, a powerful spike of anxiety going on starting at two and three years old kids who are paralyzed with fear. I feel sad when I see that they won't touch things or engage with things. They're not engaging with their life in a childlike way anymore because they have ingested so many messages about there's something you can't see. There's something that's uncertain that is dangerous around you. When we're little, we have to survive by way of staying close to our parents And I care about this because I work with so many adults who are trying to work with their anxiety. And they realize that the inception point of their anxiety was worry, love. 
that their mother never interacted with them in a way that was relaxed. It was always around something to be afraid of. Those who do love us, they do care enough to worry, but do we need to do it pervasively and all the time is the question. So I would say maybe we could find a way to connect with the people we love that isn't based around worry. Because frankly, you know, you could check with yourself and maybe the listeners can check with themselves. Does it feel genuinely good to have somebody worrying about you? Maybe, sometimes. But honestly, like when a friend says to me, I'm really worried about you. I don't feel particularly loved in that moment. I feel kind of like, what? Why? (laughs) Get off of me. I don't really connect to it that much. So if what your goal is, is to help people feel really deeply seen or connected to or known, we can get in charge and be accountable for the amount of anxiety and worry we're bringing to the exchange. I can say to you, How are you feeling in your life, Rachel? How is it going between you and your husband? And that is not an anxiety-related question. That's just an open-ended question that says, I care about you. Here's a perfect example of worry love in action is when we pick our kids up from school, we do this very sometimes subtle and sometimes not subtle trick to find out what bad thing happened to them at school that day. And it's when we pick up our kids and we say, hi, how was your day? First thing. And they say, let's just answer it together. Fine. Fine. Okay, great. Conversation over. And now what I want to know is, did you, inside of myself, I have anxiety about what you ate that day and if anyone was mean to you and if you got in trouble. Depending on what mom you are, these are the things you are most interested in finding out. I would find little ways of probing for pain. And it became a relationship of seeing each other at the end of the day where I was trying to figure out what scary thing happened to them that day, what bad thing. Now, that set up a really tight and not very open-ended interaction between us. And they got kind of shorter and shorter and shorter, the interactions between us after school. But when I realized I was funneling my anxiety and my worry about my kid's ability to sit down in class and be quiet, my kid's ability to eat his lunch in fall, and my kid's ability to have positive social interactions, I realized that those three questions needed to be off limits, that I needed to cap them and shelve them and not come back to them because they were setting up a really crappy interaction between me and my kid. And the only thing I was really looking for is danger and worry. My kid doesn't want to engage around that. They want me to say, tell me if there's anything that lit you up today or anything interesting happen. And P.S., if you're not ready to talk about it, let me know when you are. So if you were speaking to a group of moms, what would be the big takeaway around worry love that you would share? On a practical note, I would say if you become aware of where you are funneling energy and worry for you to your kid, see if you can identify what the situations are where you do get most worried and then do this. Before you get into the situation, you're allowed to do a pre-game strategy with your kid. Like, hey, Isaiah, we're going to the table right now. And I know sometimes the food and the dinner can be a little hard for you. What is your plan for eating tonight? I just want to show you what we have available. 
And then you might ask them if they have a little plan. Or I might say, I'd like you to try to sit for five minutes when you're at the table and just be with your food in whatever way you want to. So that's a little pregame. I'm not doing it in the moment when we're at the table because I know as soon as I get to the table, I'm going to start running my anxiety at you. So that happens before we go into any place where we worry. That can be before we go into the grocery store and we're worried that our kid is going to be a nightmare in there. Before we get into a situation that's social, like a play date where we're worried how it's going to go, we can pregame anything. But once we get into the situation, I am going to check my worry at the door. And I'm really going to hold myself accountable to show them how to enjoy the moment. And then afterward, you can post-game, debrief. How did that go? I noticed that we got through the bathroom with not too much trouble today. We washed our hands and we got the goop off and it was fine. So that would be something we can notice what happened afterward and if it worked. Us moms have the ability to go past our reflexes. We don't just have to indulge every last worry and concern. We can actually give ourselves a limit and say, hey, during the period of time that I'm going to be with you in this scary situation, I'm actually going to be in charge of whether or not I say to you, watch out, watch out, watch out, watch out, watch out, watch out, oh, careful, 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 careful. I'm not going to do that to you the entire time you're climbing on the monkey bars. I'm just not. That's my wish is that people would take that task on. And when the kid is actually in the middle of the activity, they will smile at them. They will take deep breaths and they will tell them why they can trust the world that they're in. Thanks for tuning in to Parent School. That was Polly Ely. If you want to learn more about Polly, you can visit thelabmethod.com. You can find all of our podcast episodes there too, or also on parentschoolpodcast.com. Please visit. We'd love to hear what you think of the show and what questions you have or topics you want us to cover in a future episode. Thanks so much for being here and we will see you next time.